You can pull out your notes if you want to follow along. If you like surprises, uh, just leave them, and you'll never know where I'm going. Sometimes I don't either. Um, but this morning, we're going to talk about the effect of prayer. You remember I talked last time in our last episode uh, about harp and bowl prayer out of Revelation 5, how the elders walk around with uh, a harp representing worship and a bowl, which is full of the prayers of the saints, and they get them out when they go before the throne, and they do harp and bowl prayer, and we even practiced that a little bit. It was a lot of fun. Um, but we did not talk about what happens with those bowls later, and so I want to talk about that today. Now, unapologetically, I am trying to incentivize the church to pray. I have been doing this for, I don't know, 35 years, trying to incentivize the church to pray. Uh, and the reason I want to talk about the effect of prayer is because it's unseen. And it's really hard to get excited about doing something when you don't see results or you don't see what's happening. And because so much is happening in the spirit realm and it is unseen, uh, it's hard to be incentivized. So I'm going to tell you what's happening that you don't see this morning, okay? All right, so... What happens to the bowls full of prayer, uh, prayers of the saints, in Revelation 5.8? Well, the answer is in Revelation 8, 3 through 5. Now, let me point out uh, in context so you know what's going on. We're in the book of Revelation, so there's lots of crazy stuff happening. There's, there's seals, there's trumpets, there's bowls, there's, you know, there's just stuff. So this is in the context of the seventh seal. This happens when the seventh seal is open. Remember, it starts seals, then trumpets, then bowls. Seventh seal. And I'm going to read to you because they get out these bowls and we find out what happens. It says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Now, this is the altar before the throne of God in heaven. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Got it? So they've got the bowl with the incense, with the prayers of the saints. It's part of the incense. Um, so we're getting ready to see what happens. So he offers it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Um, so this isn't just prayers ascending before God right now. This is prayers prayed for Melbourne, I don't know, maybe 100 years ago. Still alive, still incense, still ascending before God. And for other cities, and for the nations, and for other nations, all these prayers that are ascending before God. And then something interesting happens. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So at this point, what I want you to see unequivocally here is that when the prayers of the saints mixed with the incense are put in the fire before the throne of God in heaven, and then some of the fire is thrown to earth, stuff happens on earth. The prayers of the saints are affecting earth, right? So that for sure, now you probably already could have guessed that was part of the effect, but we want to understand better how. So, 
uh, at this point, just understand that we're affecting the earth with our prayers, but I want to be specific with how. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, if you look at the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, the six seals that are right before this that I just read uh, could be and probably will be classified as natural disasters. Now, they're not because clearly um, God is doing this. But there are things like war, got that already, famine, got that already, death, plenty of that, and a great earthquake. If you live in California, you got that already. So none of this is stuff that people are going to immediately go, oh, this is God, necessarily. All right? The reason I want you to see that is because when we get to the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, it shifts. It becomes plagues, literally plagues, like, you know, water turning to blood type stuff. It becomes plagues that resemble a lot the plagues of Exodus. It's almost as if not only the Passover uh, was an indication of, of the future, Jesus, the Lamb of God, dying for our sins, but the plagues and the exodus and the going to the promised land, it's almost as if all of that was pointing to the future. You, you with me? All right. Rachel's with me. She has to be. I want you to see that, that the plagues in exodus are a forerunner or a, a, a prophetic symbol of the last days, that last three and a half years in the the uh, trumpets and the bowls because it's important that we understand the purpose of these plagues it's not like God um, remember he told uh, uh, Joseph that uh, Israel was going to go into captivity and into slavery and 400 and some years later they'd come out it's not like God was surprised it's not like he just lost his temper and said I've had enough with Pharaoh and I'm going to start turning stuff into blood and there's going to be lice and hail and I'm just I'm angry it's not the way it happened. There's a purpose to this, and it was timed at the right time for the right purpose. And Moses was an integral part of this. So if we look in Exodus chapter 7, verse 4, we're getting ready to go into all the plagues. If you keep reading after this, you hit all the plagues. They come out. Pharaoh's army gets destroyed, and we start the whole you know, time in the wilderness. It says, but Pharaoh, he's telling, by the way, he's trying to talk Moses into going and being his spokesperson. Moses is understandably reluctant. You remember this part. Uh, and so he says, look, I'll let Aaron help you, uh, but you're going to have to go. And so Moses is going, and Pharaoh says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to do all these mighty signs by your hand. And he says, but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. You have to understand, God wasn't just mad at Egypt. He was judging Egypt, and not just for the way they had treated Israel, but he was judging all the false gods. Uh, the plagues are really interesting when you start to look at what they worshipped. You know, oh, you worship that, huh? Well, how about if I do this with that? You like frogs? I got frogs. I love God's sense of humor. So the purpose in this is that God is bringing forth justice. He isn't just angry. He's bringing forth justice. 
and he's involved Moses in this process. It's important that we understand this if we're going to understand the parallels when we move forward into our future. Moses' intercession is bringing forth God's justice. You'll notice God would tell Moses about the plague. Moses would go tell Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, here's the next thing God's going to do. Pharaoh would go, no. God would do it. Pharaoh would go, I'm real sorry, this time for sure. I really mean it. I'm real sorry. Please ask God to stop the plague. And God would stop the plague when Moses asked, not before, not when Pharaoh asked. He was partnered with Moses. In fact, one time, and I thought this was just remarkably stupid of Pharaoh, uh, I forget which plague it was, but uh, Pharaoh says, you choose the time uh, when, when you want this to stop. And, uh, and Pharaoh goes, tomorrow. I'm like, dude. If I'm his court, I'm like, now. <laughs> Not Pharaoh. But it didn't stop till tomorrow. Moses said, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. I'll pray. It'll stop. He did. My point is, there was a partnership going on. Moses' intercession, partnering with God, bringing judgments, bringing justice to the earth. Right? Take you back to what we just read in Revelation 8, the seventh seal. Prayers of the saints, there are noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake on earth. Are you starting to see where I'm going? With this partnership in God executing justice. Now, before we go there, let's look at this. Not only, uh, this is interesting language, noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake um, at the seventh seal. This language occurs, again, almost exactly the same language two more times in the Bible. Uh, one of them is at the seventh trumpet, Revelation 11. Then the temple of, by the way, this is when Jesus returns. Uh, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, thunderings, noises, an earthquake, and great hail. It's exactly the same, except for we, we added hail. Isn't that interesting? So we get that language at the seventh seal. We get that language at the seventh trumpet. And then if you go to Revelation 16, 18, at the seventh bowl. Now, the bowls are different. Um, uh, up until now, we, this is called the Great Tribulation. But the bowls are called the wrath of God being poured out. This is why Jesus comes at the seventh trumpet. Uh, we aren't. Uh, appointed for wrath. We don't participate in the bowls, thank God, because they're ugly. Uh, but uh, at the seventh bowl, we read this, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. That's the one that splits the Mount of Olives in two so that the Israelites can escape through that passage. Now, I can't prove this, but I find it interesting that the exact same language is happening at the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl. It's almost like the angels still just stand there going. Another bowl, another seal. You with me? So here's what I want you to get. And, and, I, and I think it's super important that we see this. That God isn't just going, I've had enough. At some point, 
I'm putting my foot down, and we're starting with Revelation 6, and we're going right through. It's us partnered with God. It's the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints bring forth God's justice from heaven to earth. God says, of these things, I will destroy those who destroy the earth. He's not just angry. He's bringing justice. He's correcting, and uh, he's going to fix the earth when he comes, right? So what we need to see is we are partnering with God. Our prayers, the prayers of the saints, bring forth God's justice from heaven to earth. Now, that's not just in the last days, although it certainly is in the last days. That's what we are just looking at. That's now. Our prayers bring forth God's justice from heaven to earth. Why is it important to know that? Because you guys hear a lot of talk about justice lately, social justice and justice this and justice that. And it's real easy for us to look to even the church natural means of justice and neglect Hear me, church, that the primary way God has given the church to execute justice is prayer. It is the primary way he has given the church to execute justice. You know why? Because the only human being who is really, really, really awesome at executing justice is Jesus. You and I, we don't always get it right. Now, we're called to execute justice, and we try, and we should. We don't always get it right. Only Jesus is awesome enough to perfectly execute justice. And so, prayer is our partnering with Jesus to bring justice from heaven to earth, not just our idea of justice. I'm telling you guys, there are a lot of ways where the church has kind of uh, gone, yeah, I know prayer, but... You know, it takes a long time, and I don't see what's really happening. I have some ideas of how some natural ways that maybe we could bring justice, and we could make people feel better. And I don't know that I have the time to wait on God to do this. Right? Am I, am I going too far? No. Right? We've got to get this, church. We've got to be incentivized by the effect of prayer. Prayer can accomplish things we can't accomplish. God didn't call us to fix his earth. He called us to partner with him as he fixes his earth. Amen? And, you know, be salt and light while we're doing it. So, again, very important that we see, we don't get impatient and try and do justice with our best ideas of justice, that we see that prayer, the prayers of the saints, is our way God has given us, our lever to bring justice to the earth. It is how we bring justice from heaven to earth. Let me show you more about how this works. I want to paint a picture for you. Now, I am not saying that every single time it works this way. Sometimes you pray and you get an answer 10 seconds later. God says, do this, and you do it, and it works. Or sometimes you pray for someone who's sick, and bam, they get healed, and you go, that's awesome. Right? And I love that. So I'm not saying every single time this is the way prayer works, but this in the Big picture is mostly how prayer works, so follow with me. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is doing a 21-day fast because he wants to understand, because he's been reading the scriptures, and he's been reading about seven years of captivity, and it's getting towards an end, 
And he's wanting to understand more. And God likes it. He wants to understand. So God wants to answer. So Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to read you verses 12 and 13. So what happens, Daniel's been fasting and praying. And this happens a lot to Daniel. You'd think he'd be nervous about praying because every time he goes praying, he gets a vision and, and like an angel shows up and scares everybody. So this is one of those times. An angel shows up and all of his friends go, ah, and run away. And uh, so it's just Daniel there and his angel's talking to him. And here's what the angel says. He says, uh, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I've been left there alone with the kings of Persia. Now understand the prince of, it wasn't an angel walking across the desert, and the king of Persia came out and said, hey, you can't be here, angel. That's not what's going on. Uh, it was an angel through the heavens, and understand the king of Persia is a principality. All right? We're talking spiritual king of Persia here. Okay? So here's what I want you to see. I love that this happened from the first day. God said, bam, send an answer. Angel, go. But it took 21 days for that answer to get there. Why? Well, here's what happened. Here's what I want you to see. Four things that happen when we pray. One, we pray. Now, that's I, I note that because I don't just assume that's going to happen. We actually have to do that. <laughs> Let me just say that again. We don't just talk about prayer. We actually pray. Okay? With me? All right. That's step one. Can't go to any other steps until we do that. One, we pray. Two, angels are activated. That's what happened, right? Daniel prayed. God said, I'm going to need an angel. Get busy. Why? Because Hebrews in chapter 1 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. That's us. Their whole job is to minister to us. We activate them through prayer, okay? So, one, prayer. Two, angels get activated. Three, there's war. Why? Because the angels didn't have a straight shot to come here. They had to go through the heavens. What's in the heavens? Uh, Ephesians 6, 12. We do not battle against flesh and blood, right? Now, just that, we should stop and ponder that. How often... Do we find ourselves battling against flesh and blood and have to remind ourselves, oh, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be battling flesh and blood, right? We don't battle against flesh and blood. What do we battle against? Principalities and powers. Those are devils. Where are they? Heavenly places. Good. I was thinking you guys knew this verse. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and powers in heavenly places. How do we do that? We get on a plane get at 20,000 feet, I'm ready to go. No. We pray. Angels are released. They have to come through the heavens where they run into principalities and powers. Somehow, I don't know how it works, somehow our praying gets them fighting or gets them bringing stuff, and the devils fight it because the devils don't want that good stuff happening here. 
And so for the angel that's been sent to, you know, Church on the Rock, he's got to come through whatever's in the heavens over Melbourne to get here, doesn't he? And so we keep praying because the answer's on the way. Um, and persistence is a big deal. Remember, the, uh, the answer was sent what day? First day. Got there? 21st day, right? What would have happened? Uh, I can, you know, the chapter would be a lot shorter if Daniel would have just, I've, I've done this, I'm going to fast for 21 days. And it turned out to not be 20. Eh, 18 was pretty good. Let's eat. So Daniel goes home after 18 days. And the rest of chapter 10 reads, and the angel showed up and went, where's Daniel? And now it's chapter 11. And we don't get all that. Hello. Think about it. No idea how much we miss because uh, we just haven't been persistent enough. Now, again, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty. I'm motivating you. I'm, I'm motivating you, incentivizing you to pray because you never know. You never know. What's coming? Now, that persistence thing, I want to give you an example. It's hard to do this because it's unseen. Uh, so a few, I told you, I pray uh, on Wednesday mornings with some pastors up at LifePoint. And uh, a few weeks ago, we were there, and one pastor, he likes to do these little things where we like check in with each other, and, and, and he'll pick different things. And so this day, he's going, everybody say something you're thankful for. And I was like, all right. And so I'm thinking about it, and I'd just been talking with people here, and I said, uh, when it got to be my turn, I said, I'm thankful for our demographics at Church on the Rock. I said, there's, there's, uh, we used to have real broad demographics, uh, but then probably seven or eight years ago, most of our people were 40s and 50s, didn't have a lot of kids, didn't have a lot of teenagers, didn't have many college students. Uh, and I said, I'm just thankful that we're growing and, and we've got really broad demographics. We've got a good youth group. We've got college students. We just started a, a young adults group. We've got old people that aren't dead yet. We're, uh, you know, they're still doing stuff. We got the whole spectrum, right? And I was happy about this. And then he asked this question. He goes, he goes well, what did you, you do to change that? Because it wasn't like that seven years ago. And I said, nothing. I have no idea how that happened. I said, we didn't, we didn't do anything different. We're doing services. We're, we're, we're pressing into worship in the presence of God and teaching the word. We've been doing that forever. We don't do anything different. We didn't change anything. We didn't, I didn't get skinny jeans. And... <laughs> And start, start hitting the gym more, you know? We tried to get Gary to wear skinny jeans, but he was unwilling. <laughs> Here's my point. We didn't do things to appeal to younger people or this or that or the other. Here, I said, here's what we did. And if you were been here for that long, you'll remember. So we prayed about it constantly. Every prayer meeting, we're going, God, send us young people. God, send us young families with children. God, send us... Uh, Students from FIT, and here they are, right? We prayed. We had no natural solution. I couldn't think of anything. I can't make people come. I can't even make people stay, right? So I don't know how it happened. I don't know. Are there any young families here where, you know, you were just hanging out and an angel showed up on your back porch <laughs> looking kind of beat up, 
Like they'd been through war and said, you got to get a church on the rock. That might have been us. I don't know. Maybe that's how it happened. See my point. Uh, but we, that didn't happen in a week. We prayed that way for years. And, and it was fairly sudden when it started to turn. It just started to change. And we're like, huh, different people are coming. So we pray. Guys, it's unseen. We don't know, but we stay with it, and stuff happens. Let me give you another example, because I'm really trying to make this practical, illustrate this. Um, one of the places, I think, where we are in danger of leaning on natural solutions are in all the problems we see around us and, and that intersection with politics. I'm going to be a little bit political for a minute. I'm not going to endorse either party. Frankly, I'm fairly equally fed up with both of them. Um, I, am, uh, I, I am politically aware. I vote. You should vote. You should vote intelligently. You should learn stuff. You should vote based on biblical principles and not who looks better or sounds better. Uh, and you never know what they're going to do. I mean, they'll t try and tell you what they're going to do, but we don't know if they're going to do it or not anyway, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, so I'm for voting. I'm for being involved. I'm for all that stuff. But I also think the church has leaned into, I think, what, I, what I'll call political idolatry. We're looking for that to solve our problems. We're looking for natural solutions, like getting the right guy. If you pray less when the right guy gets elected, uh, that tells me you're looking for politics to solve your problem, not Jesus. Right? So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine for a moment that you win the political lottery and you get to pick the entire Congress, House and Senate, the entire executive, vice president, president, all the cabinet, and the judiciary. You get to pick them all. And I'd, I'm for it. I think you'd probably do a better job. Uh, you get to pick them all and send them to Washington in 2024. We don't have to go through elections. You pick them. You send the ones you want. Wouldn't that be good? Now, let me give you another incentive. Let me give you another scenario. Because there's a tendency to think that would, and that would improve things. I'm fairly certain that would. I think I could do a better job almost picking at random is what we have now. But let's put it this way. What if I said, you get to pick them and send them but whatever's in the heavens over Washington, D.C. remains unchanged. Now how's your outlook for the next few years? You see what I'm talking about? The church has to bear a lot of the responsibility for the condition our country is in. We can't just blame them because it's our job to affect the heavens. And the heavens affect earth. And there's stuff in the heavens that we need to be affecting. So, this is in bold print in your notes. We affect the natural by changing the spiritual atmosphere in the heavens. We have too much, I believe, tried to affect the earth by natural means. And again, we do what we can do. 
I mean, you know, giving money to a cause or whatever, that's natural and that's good. But we're not really called primarily to that. We're called primarily to affect the heavens and to affect the earth by changing the spiritual atmosphere in the heavens. This is what Paul was talking about when he told Timothy to pray for those who are in authority over him so that he could live, so that they could live quiet and peaceable lives. You see the connection? Hey, Timothy, over there in Ephesus with all those Romans ruling over you, uh, you want to live quiet and peaceable lives? Pray for them. Pray for them. Now, they didn't even have the option to reelect them. They didn't even have the option to pick different people. You ever think about the church? Think about this. The church turned Rome upside down. Rome started out killing Christians and burning them on stakes. And Rome ended up, 300 years later, being a Christian nation. With the single exception of Constantine, who I'm not even totally sure he believed, I can't think of a single political figure that was a Christian in the Roman Empire in those 300 years. How did they turn Rome upside down when they never even elected anyone? How did they do it? I don't know. The historians can tell us. I'm pretty sure they did it through just being the church, being salt and light, praying, changing the atmosphere over Rome. And it changed, right? What could the church do if the church understood this and got a hold of this? Boggles the mind. Here's a little preview for you in Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read to you verses 7 through 11. And this is... The verses just before it, I think, set this somewhere in that three-and-a-half-year period of tribulation, three-and-a-half years where uh, the second half of the seven where things have gone south and, uh, you know, the Antichrist has broken the peace treaty and now there's going to be blood and death and screaming and stuff. So, in the midst of that, verse 7 through 11, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him, him being the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Who is that overcoming? It's the church. Satan's being cast down. Let's just start with the first part. And war broke out in heaven. Based on what I just told you, why do you think war broke out in heaven? You think God just went... Now, get this. He's the accuser of the brethren. Right now, today, we see this. We see this in Job. We see this in the Bible. That uh, he has access. He comes, the sons of God come before the throne of God. Satan comes before the throne of God. He's there to accuse you. Hey, uh, here's what I heard so-and-so say. Here's what they did. You need to judge that, God. 
Uh, they're asking for this, but they've done the same thing over here. You need to not do that, God. He's, he's just he's a, a prosecuting attorney constantly going before the judge against us. You understand this is going on right now. The accuser of the brethren. That's all he does. He just goes before God accusing you and me all the time. Sometimes we help him by accusing each other. And he uses our testimony. I'm really hoping my testimony isn't being used by Satan before the throne of God in heaven. It's something to think about. Right? And then it says war breaks out in heaven. And God just go, well, it's time for war. Or what caused war to break out in heaven uh, over Persia? Daniel's prayer. What caused fire and thunderings and earthquakes and all that? Our prayers. I think war broke out in heaven because the church actually prayed this. Because the church overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Not loving their lives to the death. I think the church so grasped this. I think there's a, going to be a church in the end days that so gets prayer that they actually pray a war in heaven and God's angels cast down the fallen angels and Satan himself. And he no longer has access to the heavens, to the principalities and powers and spiritual places. They don't have that anymore. They got to function here on earth. Now, that's, <laughs> they're still going to cause some trouble. There's more of the book. But they, they don't have access to God. They don't have access to accuse us before the throne. That's what that passage is saying. He's being cast down. His only option now is to find a guy and inhabit him and try and work through earthly processes because he has lost his position in the heavens because the church prayed and took authority over the heavens. The church could do that. The church will do that. That is so exciting to me. I so want to be a part of that kind of church. I'm willing to go through the tribulation just to be there and see the church pray like that. Isn't that awesome? <sighs> what kind of last day's church, what kind of praying last day's church accomplished that? Picture it. Can you imagine that? I don't know what it'll take, but I picture that. That gets me excited. That incentivizes me. So, what do we want to do about the spiritual atmosphere over America? Guys, the answer is prayer. The answer is a praying church. Now, it's hard to get real incentivized about that because, you know, uh, America's big and we're just here. So maybe we can get a little bit more excited about what could we do about the heavens over Brevard County. You think we can impact the heavens over Brevard County? Yeah, I bet we could. And not just us, all the other churches that are praying. Here's one. What about the spiritual atmosphere in your home? Is that random? I'm telling you. Every once in a while, Rachel and I will notice, uh, you know, she's kind of being bugged. I'm kind of being bugged. And uh, we're going, hey, something doesn't feel right. Huh? Spiritual atmosphere in her home ain't quite right. We go to war. And we deal with it. Usually it doesn't take long because there's only two of us. It's harder if you have kids. <laughs> Unless 
You're teaching your kids how to do it, too. Now, there's a thought. Actually, teach your kids how to pray and take control over the spiritual atmosphere in your home. There's a spiritual atmosphere in you that you have to war sometimes to maintain and control. We'll talk about that more in the future. That'll probably be our next teaching. So uh, I'm not going to tell you when, so you can't hide. Are we going to take responsibility for the spiritual atmosphere uh, in the heavens over us, especially in our homes, guys? What if all of us uh, did were doing that in our homes and a Sunday morning church service was nothing more than all of us just, we, we had to spend an hour just talking about the amazing miracles God did in our homes before we even got to church. <laughs> Would that be awesome? I'm telling you guys, I don't understand why God did it this way, but he did it this way. The most powerful things we have are the things we do least and the things we least see. But prayer is powerful. Corporate prayer is powerful. Guys, we, this is what it means to be kings and priests to our God. We rule the heavens through intercession. 